It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.08 on a Saturday morning, 76 degrees already outside. It's already warm. It's going to get warmer. 20 more degrees to add to that. Ooh, it's going to be a hot one today. And I'm thinking of all the things that need to be done inside the house today. Not doing a whole lot of planning for being outdoors. If you're going to mow, mow early. If you're going to water, water early. Well, actually... You can't water early until 10 o'clock, I guess, is the watering rules, because now that we're considering the possibility that we could have another drought this summer, I've begun looking a little bit more closely at the water rules, which have been in place. The water rules have been in place since 2010 and have been permanently in place. Theoretically, since 2010, you're only supposed to water after 4 p.m. every day. That is the rule. Nobody enforces it, of course, when everything's you know fine and dandy and the rain has come down and you don't have to worry about drought anymore. But that is the rule, that you're not supposed to water until 4 p.m., until 10 a.m. the next morning. So we begin to consider the possibility that we could be a little dry this summer. And one of the things to consider about the drought is what do you leave and what do you keep and what do you plant and what do you refrain from planting in my view it is easier to plant annuals right now and i think when you hear the pike pick of the weekend from mickey gasway at 8 30 you'll understand that there are some things that can still be planted right now to give you a lot of bang for the buck in the landscape that uh, perhaps coming things planting from seed, this would not be the right time to do it. So planting established plants in pots, not in seeds, would be a better decision, I think. And you'll hear more about that again at 8.30 from, from Mickey. Again, if you are already got things in the garden, and you're thinking which ones I should keep, which ones should go away, I've got some... Uh, pansies that were just barely hanging on and they're of course they're gone they're out of here we're no more pansies in my garden no 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 the petunias on the other hand i've got some spreading petunia and the spreading petunias give me more bang for the buck than anything else so if there's any plant that i'm going to water it's them the spreading petunias they look great there's a yellow one and a red one and some um, little blue ones around the corner and so they're the ones that are going to get water the vegetables yes they get water tomatoes yes they get water i want my tomatoes and they're producing right now and I don't want them to dry out but if I'm thinking of how the drought affects my landscape I'm thinking about priorities and this might be the time to think about priorities in your landscape and which ones need to be watered which ones perhaps you could even put a soaker hose out and water overnight water during the day at a time that um, conserves water and make sure that we don't if we have a drought don't suffer tremendously from it by the way one of the things you can do to help your lawn a little bit raise the mowing height if you raise the mowing height on a lawnmower, the uh, grass blades actually shield and shade the soil, keeping it cooler. And the cooler the soil, the less water evaporates from it. 
and the less stress on the grass too. So one of the things that you can do if you're worried that your lawn is looking a little on the dry side is just to raise the lawn mowing height. It'll look fine, the lawn look great, but it'll just be a slight half an inch maybe higher than it used to be. You could even raise it another full inch if you need to. And then as the drought tapers off during the mid to later part of the summer, then you can lower the height back down to where it needs to be. I saw an interesting graphic. I need to put it on my website. An interesting graphic correlating the mowing height of fescue to the incidence of crabgrass. In other words, the higher you mow fescue, the less crabgrass you have. Again, mostly because of shading, mostly because of inhibition of uh, seeds germinating. And if you're one of those people who believes, well, I'll just mow my fescue down to about an inch and a half or two inches because that's what it takes to keep it down low so I only have to mow once a week, then you're actually increasing your chances of having crabgrass in the land, in the, in the lawn, because of the lower mowing height allowing crabgrass seeds to germinate. So the higher you mow fescue, the fewer crabgrass plants you're going to have. And crabgrass at this time of the year is sort of a pain in the rear. It's already germinated if you hadn't, didn't do anything to prevent it. And so crabgrass is one of those things that you gotta got to keep your eye on, got to keep ahead of it. Pre-emergent in the spring is probably the easiest and best way to get rid of that. 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. We go to our friend in Griffin, Georgia, Nicole. Hey, Nicole, good morning. Mr. Reed. Miss Nicole, how are you? Fine, fine. We have to remember that not every year is gonna, everything's going to be perfect. <laughs> Don't think. <laughs> we want to, but boy, I planned some stuff and nothing came out except the caladium, beautiful leaf. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I have I had some white cap, but now the yellow. What was the white cap? Was what? What was that? Well, I had some white cat, but now they're yellow. What is white cat? What does that mean? You know, a cat that is far as white. Oh, the cat, the cat, the animal, the creature. Yes, That's yes. Some yes. kind of flower. Okay, because but, uh, of yellow, because of the dust, and because of the dirt, and because of the mud, and because of yeah, everything else down there. So, what? How do you water, Nicole? What do you do to water your garden and flowers? Oh, uh, Mister Reed, when I went to uh, Master Gardener, the thing that was telling us just take care of your trees, and yeah. that's all I water. Yeah. yeah. Because the tree, even if you water flower, the tree is going to get the water. Yeah, well, that's true. And trees are by far the biggest investment in the landscape. And so that's the one thing that you don't want to stress to have anything bad happen to. And the annuals, okay, yeah, we can replace those. Even some of the perennials, we can replace those. But trees, that's hundreds and thousands of dollars you lose if a tree dies. And I did realize when I look at it, when I water them with a hose, that the grade change because the tree, the trunk's getting higher, yeah. and the grade change, so the water all run off. So we have to uh, rethink the soil around it, the marsh around it, because if you water it, it's a little downhill. And I think that soaker hoses for trees make the most sense of everything because the soaker hose just drips the water in, drip, 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 and the soil absorbs it, and it doesn't run off down the hill yes. as the grade changes. And we have to remember, too, that most of the roots for trees are out at the drip line and beyond. I mean, the drip line literally describes how rainfall gets into the ground under a tree right there where the ends of the branches are. That's where all the little soaker roots, all the little roots that soak up moisture are concentrated there and a little further out beyond that. So that's where you put the water, not up close to the trunk because there's nothing there to absorb water for the tree. 
The perimeter is really wide, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 like a big wide donut around the tree. But it does not start at the middle of the tree at the trunk. It starts around the drip line and out 5, 10, 15 feet from that. And, you know, I just thought, Nicole, one of the other things we need to remind people about the effect of drought is Leland cypress. And Leland cypress, if there's any tree in the landscape or any plant that is affected severely by drought, it is Leland cypress. They have a horrible time during dry weather because they get the little tiny splits in the bark, and that's where the cankers come in, and that's what causes the brown uh, limbs, and that's where diseases get started. So if you're going to water anything besides your big trees, Leland cypress would be the next thing. If you pick blueberry, why do you pick water then? Because the roots are so close from the ground. Well, if you pick idea. just water at the same time. And blueberries are doing pretty good this year. Um, mine have had some... <laughs> I'll, I'll admit that after I built this big cage out of netting around my blueberry plants, I saw a cardinal had found a corner that the cardinal uh, could get no. underneath. And that's why I haven't gotten as many blueberries as I thought I would, even with a cage around it, because the bird found her way in. So I have had some blueberries, but not enough. And the cardinal, she's going to have to go somewhere else after this afternoon when I go and anchor that net down. I did that one year, the net, and boy, it just take me so much time to just put it in, pull it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I make a pack with the bird, just get me the most of it and get the rest. <laughs> That's why I made the cage over mine, because of the pain of taking it off. You're exactly right. Moving the netting off of a blueberry plant is just a pain in the rear. It's a nasty thing to have to try to do. Well, Nicole, i got to go. I can look at the clock and see it's time for us to get out of here. But it's great talking to you, and I will see you next Saturday. Enjoy your day. We'll see you then. 404 the number on Lawn and Garden. We'll be back right after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. I don't think we can beat around the bush here. It's going to be pretty dead come hot today. Afternoon's highs in the mid-90s. Sunny skies, you got it. 20% chance of stray showers. And tonight down into the mid-70s like it is right now. 76 degrees outside. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Margaret is in Atlanta. And Margaret joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Margaret, good morning. Good morning, Walter. What you got? Oh, uh, we had an abundance of pecans this year, believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, I'm just wondering, uh, how do you preserve them? To Somebody said you could freeze them. Well, you yeah, could... you could freeze. Uh, I don't know if... I mean, in the shell. I guess you can. It just takes so much room in the shell, Margaret. Right. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've, oh, I got a lot of them in the freezer that I've shelled. Till my finger gets sore, you yeah, know? exactly. I mean, if you're going to freeze them, then I think in the shell just takes up so much room that yeah. unless you have something, if you have something else that's more important, you'd put that in there instead. But there's nothing I don't think wrong with freezing in shell or out of shell, whichever you want to do. Not going to mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the things to think about too that I'm just now coming to mind is that if you freeze them in the shell and try to shell them, 
when you take them right out of the freezer, the meat would be a little brittle mm-hmm. and uh, might shatter more readily than if you had them, you know, outside and let them thaw out for a while and let the meat get a little tender so that it bends as you as you open up the shell. That's the only downside of freezing in the shell that I can think of is maybe, you know, brittle brittle meat. Okay, okay. Well, I guess I'll start shelling some more. Well, again. I guess you will. And you know, one <laughs> of the things about it, Margaret, you have to admit. Shelling is indoor work. It is. <laughs> it, is. it is. And I did it early, you know, right after we picked them in the yeah. winter. Nothing to do. You sit at the table and you shell until you, your finger gets sore. Well, exactly. Exactly. One of, the, one of the interesting things that I've discovered in my mother's uh, effects, and I go down to visit her, of course, every week, but one of the things I do while I'm there is go through some of her stuff mm-hmm. to sort of think of the things that we'll need to keep and things that we may need to throw away. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found was a memory list she did of 1959. Okay. And one of the things she mentions in there is not being able to start canning and freezing, mostly canning, I think, until after um, 10 or 11 o'clock at night, because that's when all the kids were asleep. Okay. And so she said to, she said exactly that. She says, uh, it's getting started late every evening canning, because the ki- that's when the kids are all asleep. And then right underneath that, that was sort of a complaint, but right underneath that was something positive. On the other hand, we do have a lot of squash and beans this year. So. Yeah, okay. She spent a lot of time in that kitchen, accompanied sometimes by her eldest son, who remembers now how hot and miserable it can be in a yeah. kitchen canning tomatoes uh, and beans yeah, and corn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. We have an abundance. We're getting uh, string beans this year, but I'm just blanching mine and put them in freezer bags. Good. I'm too lazy to can. Yeah, good for you. If you got a freezer and put them in there. My mother had a big freezer, and we put everything in there ourselves. All right. Margaret, it's great talking to you. Thanks for calling. And, and thanks for the information. Stay inside and stay cool. <laughs> we'll see you. Okay. 404-872-0750 is the number. This is not the day, unless you have to, that I would do canning. As Margaret said, you can blanch them, which means you heat them briefly in steam or hot water and put them in the freezer, and that's a perfectly acceptable way to, to take care of your excess vegetables you get from your garden. If you need directions, your local Extension office, which is 1-800-ASK-UGA. Right now, we'll be back to more Lawn and Garden questions and answers right after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 635 and 76 degrees outside. Yes, it's going to be hot today. We don't need to belabor the point. But if you have questions about what you can do to stay inside and not be outside in the heat or what you can do to help preserve your plant's health during the hot weather, then you can give me a call, 404-872-0750. Becky is out in Dunwoody and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Becky, good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great, Becky. What's up? Great. Thanks for taking my call. Two quick questions. I have three types of ginger lilies in my yard, pink yellow and white, and I wanted to know if the root of this plant is the same that we use in cooking. That's question one. Mm-hmm. And the other one is how to keep the birds from eating my cherries. The, the one that's white, the ginger that's white, could possibly be the one that we eat, but tell me more about the white one. About the what? The white ginger lily, the white flower ginger lily that you have. Well, the white ginger lily is the root is, is you know, pretty berries, but it's just awfully sweet when you try to transplant it. It just seems awfully sweet. 
everybody. Oh man, you're breaking you're breaking you're breaking up badly, Becky. Let me answer. I'll tell you why I was asking that question. Is uh, there are two kinds of for lack of a better word, two kinds of white flower ginger. And one is the ornamental white flower ginger, the one that's the national flower of Cuba, and grows, a lot of people grow it in gardens here in Georgia. And that white flower one, although the root is edible, it's really, really tough and fibrous. So you could, I guess, eat it and make things out of it, but you mostly just squeeze the juice out of it. The other one, the white flowered other edible Ginger is the one that you get from the grocery store. It has a much, much more tender root, and you can shave off pieces of it and make it into sushi or eat it with sushi and things like that and uh, make gingerbread cookies if you wanted to out of it. So there are two kinds of ginger. And then you have all the other kinds of ornamental gingers, which, again, I don't think are poisonous but are pretty fibrous and you wouldn't want to eat the roots anyway. But they're the, the pine cone gingers and the hidden gingers and two or three more, most of which are... They're pretty tropical, you know. They may live for a year or two if we have a mild winter outside, but most of the time they just die away. If unless you're in South Georgia and Macon and South, most of the tropical gingers will stick around during the winter time. But in Atlanta, the only one that really reliably sticks around is the white-flowered non-edible ginger, not like the one in the grocery store. The one in the grocery store again tends to tends to be more tropical. It sort of fades away in Georgia. That doesn't mean you can't grow it. It doesn't mean you can't put it in a pot and bring it inside during the wintertime. That'd be fine. But there are a lot of gingers and a lot of pretty, pretty, pretty flowers, but only really one of them is the edible ginger. Andy is here at Atlanta, and Andy joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Andy, good morning. Good morning, Walter. What's up? Um, I've got a place in um, Gainesville that uh, has a boxwood hedge in, in the corner of the box with heads, there's a hydrangea. Yeah. And so here's the background. Uh, last fall, I had a new lawn put in. Um, there was some grading done that raised that corner, and there was a retainer wall put in to um, help with some erosion. And um, what's happened in January, one of the boxwoods in the corner died, and then suddenly in April, um, two, three others in that corner died. So the mm-hmm. whole corner now has uh, got brown boxwoods the leaves are still on the plants okay we've been treating it like it's a uh, uh, we've been treating it with a fungicide and then last week the uh, hydrangea which is um, in that corner um, started to have a little bit of brown in the flowers and then uh, we treated with a fungicide and then that hydrangea which was a pretty good sized plant uh, suddenly died um, yeah. literally all at once so I'm I think we misdiagnosed this with the uh, the fungicide because it doesn't seem to be helping, and the yeah. the, um, the whatever the problem is, it doesn't seem to be um, spreading from outside that corner of the yard. Let me let me ask you something. You may have given me a clue without realizing it as to what's going on. You said the leaves are still on the boxwood. Is that still right? That's correct. Then that already wipes out something that I thought you might have, which is a new disease. And it is really virulent and really dangerous for boxwoods. It's called, for lack of a better term, boxwood blight. Mm -hmm. But the characteristic of boxwood blight is the leaves turn brown and then they fall off. They're all gone. There's just stems left for it. So I'm pretty sure you don't have boxwood blight. All right. Yeah. Plus, it doesn't seem to be spreading from outside that corner um, to the other boxwoods. the thing, the the two related things that boxwoods are most sensitive to, 
are things that relate to the roots, and it could either be too dry or too wet. So that is the very first thing that I would look at is, is there any possibility of a gutter nearby that's draining in the wrong direction, or is this a part that just never gets any water and just dries up because it's too hot out there? So I can't diagnose it specifically, but I'll tell you what I would look at first, knowing that it's not boxwood blight, is I would say, mm -hmm. what is going on with the roots? Is it not mulched? Has uh, water eroded the soil over the top of it so the top of the root ball is real uh, exposed and real dry? Does it need mulch? Those are all the kinds of things that I would start looking at, both for the boxwoods and the hydrangea, too. What okay. is going on with the roots and the water? Okay, yeah, it might be uh, with the um, grading and the irrigation system is getting too much water now yeah 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 could be could be any of that so okay. fix that make sure that is not the problem first and then once you've gotten that situation straightened out then if it still continues and it may take you know a couple of months to recover the boxwoods may never recover you may have to replace them but um that's the first thing to look at okay all right thank you and it's great talking to you thanks for calling 42 minutes past the hour, number 404-872-0750 on Lawn and Garden. And I better go back and talk a little bit more about boxwood blight because it is it is one of those diseases that has the potential to be a real, real problem in Georgia, in Atlanta particularly, because we have a lot of people who have boxwood hedges and boxwood little gardens and, you know, use a lot of boxwood. American, English, Korean, all the different kinds of boxwoods are used in many of the suburbs of Atlanta. And the bad thing about this disease is the spores are really, really sticky. Uh, what does that have to do with anything? It means that they stick to the tools, the clothes, the shoes, the hair, the fur, the feathers of anything that goes from a diseased landscape with diseased boxwood blight boxwoods into your landscape and that's the bad thing because that's how the disease might be spread and so if you just had you know a dog that goes into your neighbor's <coughs> boxwood yard and gets some of these spores on the fur and then it brushes up against your boxwoods that is a great way to infect your boxwoods and if you have a landscape crew and you know landscape crews they go to five or ten properties in a day maybe more and if they have a property that has boxwood blight and they get the spores on their shoes or on their pruning tools or any bit of their equipment and bring it to your landscape, it could infect your boxwoods. And here's the really bad thing is it's completely uncurable. It kills boxwoods, bang, dead. And like I said, the symptom is the leaves turn brown. They have little sort of purple-brown spots on them for a little while, and then the leaves turn completely brown, and they fall off, brrr, off, the, off the boxwood plant completely. So if you have a lot of boxwoods that are really, really valuable to your landscape that you just don't want to ever have anything happen to your boxwoods, and you have a landscape crew, you should at the very least talk to the landscape crew leader and say, do you have any other properties that have boxwoods? If you do... What ought to happen is they need disposable Tyvek booties and a disposable Tyvek uniform that they wear onto your landscape. And that makes it look weird. I know that. It's going to look really weird for these guys to get out of the truck and put these uh, Tyvek uniforms on. And particularly when it's hot, they're not going to like to do it. But boxwood blight is serious. It will kill boxwoods. And unless there's some sort of sanitation and a break between getting the fungus from one landscape to the next, you could have it. If you have valuable boxwoods, think about this. There's a possibility of preventing it 
but the fungicides are really expensive. We're talking $100 a quart. And that's just for the stuff. To apply it, there's another $100 application. So you're looking at a lot of money here. And the best thing to do is to protect your boxwoods from any chance of being infected, and I'll let you decide how you want to do that. But it, just remember, boxwood blight can be a real, real problem. Bo is in Homer, Georgia, and Bo joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Bo, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. Bo, how can I help? Wonderful. I was uh, calling to ask, how uh, challenging would it be at the moment with our 90 plus degree days to get a Bermuda lawn started from seed. Pretty challenging. (laughs) (laughs) Two word answer for you, Bo. How much water do you have available? Um, I just put in a new irrigation system, so it is uh, as much as it needs, actually. Is it coming from city water or from a pond? From where? where? Where did you say? Yes, city city water. Okay. Think about the cost. <laughs> it's going to cost some money for that water to be applied. It's right. not impossible. You could do it. Um, but the goal is going to be spread the seed and then keep it irrigated sufficient to keep the top quarter to half an inch of the soil moist throughout the day and throughout the night continuously for the next couple of three weeks. And that's going to take a little bit of water because the water just evaporates right out of the soil at 90 some odd degrees. You put the water down and two hours later it's dry again and you have to come out and do it, you know, water again. And if you're at work and, you know, you think, well, I watered before I went to work this morning, it should be fine. You water it extra heavy, you know, so it gets nice and soggy. But during a 95-degree day, by 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that soil can be dry. That top quarter inch can be dry. And you get home from work at 5 or 6 o'clock and you look out there and say, oh, man, it's dried out out here. I need to water again. But the little seedlings, they dried up sometime around 3 o'clock. And then you wasted time and money. So just okay. think about how you're going to schedule it, how you're going to make sure that it stays moist but not soggy. You don't want soggy soil around Bermuda seeds. If you can do that, yes, it is It is possible. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right. Good luck okay. with it, Bo. Oh, you know, Bo, I'll tell you one more thing. You need to know this. If you till okay. up the ground, which I'm sure you're going to do because you want to do a good job, but if you till the ground, when you uh, throw the seeds out there, for goodness sakes, get a roller and roll it. Roll it nice and flat and make it at least compacted enough so that when you step on it, it doesn't make divots in the ground. A guy sent me an email earlier this week and said, I forgot to roll. I didn't do any rolling, and the ground was so soft that everywhere I step when I put my sprinkler out there, I make a little inch-deep divot with my boot. And what am I going to do about that? Not much you can do about that, really and truly. You should have rolled it before you started. So when you do your seed scattering, roll it first, compact it just a little bit so that you don't have any divots put down by your shoes as you walk around on it. Wonderful. All right. Uh, thank you, sir. Great talking to you both. Thanks for calling. 404-872-0750, the number on Lawn and Garden. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Run away, yeah. 
And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. This is a perfect day for gardening if you're growing um, cactus, maybe. <laughs> in your yard. Cactus are going to be really happy this afternoon. Afternoon highs in the mid-90s. Mostly sunny skies. There's not much of a chance of a shower today. After, or evening lows drop down to the mid-70s, 75.7 degrees right now. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Um, let's go to Larry. Larry's out in Hartwell. Been waiting for a while. Hey, Larry. Good morning. Morning, Walter. What's up? We've got some great grading being done in our front yard. Cut down the grade. And we've got a mature red bud. And you were talking earlier about staying away from the root zones, yeah. drip lines. And last thing I want to do is lose that red bud. Yeah. Grading project. We're creating almost raised beds by cutting this grade down. How far do I need to stay off of that red bud uh, to ensure that we we don't kill it? It's tough. It's tough because they're under stress already from the drought, just normally, naturally under stress. And so all those roots that you're about to cut are the ones that are supplying the moisture to the roots, to the leaves, I mean, on that side of the tree. Ooh, how far can you possibly get out from underneath the redwood, or how close do you have to get to make the beds, Larry? Well, I can, I can <laughs> stay three feet off the drip line if need be, you know, at this time of year, and then encroach on it later as the weather gets better if you can stay outside of the drip line three feet outside of the drip line i think would be fine but i don't want you to remove more than 10 to maybe 20 percent of the root system of the whole tree 10 percent would be safe i think so you'll have to go out and just sort of look and you you heard me earlier say that the drip line and beyond is where all the water is absorbed So if it's just a wedge that you're cutting out, that's better than cutting out a straight block that's cutting off lots and lots of uh, of drip line absorbing, water absorbing roots there. It's up to you, um, Larry, but minimize as best you can the grading and the root damage you have to do now. And if you have to do some damage, a better time to do it is going to be in October, November when things are a lot uh, less stressful for the tree. All right. All right. And then the other... No, I, don't, I probably don't have time for another in here, Larry, so we got to do that next Saturday, all right? I'll call, I'll call back with my grass question. That will be great. Talk to you all then. Right, man. Thank you, Walter. We'll see you, man. It's 6.57 at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden right after news.